G'day, mate. Forty here. So, the the business model for doing a show like this is to get your juices flowing, right? To connect with you emotionally, right? The best way to engage online is to enrage and infuriate and tell people how they're being victimized and screwed over, right? By the establishment. I mean, if you're on the left or the right, that's the business model that you are being screwed over by the establishment. There's no business model for telling you the vaccines work and are a good thing, right? There's no money to be made for a YouTuber or a podcaster or a blogger to tell you that vaccines work and they're a good thing. But vaccines work and they're a good thing. There's no money to be made. There's no excitement to be created. There's no enormous audience to develop telling you that overall the elites in first world countries did a pretty good job responding to COVID. I think the United States, Great Britain, France, Germany, Japan, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Australia did far better than I expected in responding to COVID. And our governing officials at the time, all right, they deserve credit. And people handling Federal Reserve and the like around the world deserve credit for keeping us out of a massive recession. And scientists and government agencies that, you know, underwrote getting us vaccines in, you know, Operation Warp Speed, they deserve major credit. But there's no money. There's no excitement to be had. I'm not going to get your juices flowing saying that uh, in their response to COVID, the elites did a better than expected job. I, I don't think there's any money to be made, audience to be gained, or excitement to be had telling you that the reason we've had so much inflation the past two years is not primarily because of Joe Biden. It's not primarily because of the Democrats. It's not primarily because of Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve. The primary reason I suspect that we've had you know, higher than expected inflation over the past uh, two, two and a half years is structural, right? It's not primarily Joe Biden's fault or Jay Powell's fault. And my proof is that uh, pretty much every first world nation on earth has had you know, pretty similar or higher levels of inflation than the United States. So when every other first world nation is having similar levels of inflation, that indicates to me it's not primarily fiscal or monetary policy in the United States that, that's fueling inflation. So there's an enormous audience to be gained and excitement to be had telling you that Joe Biden's the most evil president ever. And that's what like Dennis Prager peddles on his show that, you know, Joe Biden's just, you know, a horrible man the worst man ever to be president of the United States in, in Dennis Prager's lifetime. I don't believe that. I, I don't think the personality or the, the individual who occupies the White House is that important. There's no money to be made. There is no excitement to be conveyed. I am not going to get laid telling people that uh, it doesn't really matter that much who's president of the United States. It matters mildly to moderately. Now, if Donald Trump had been reelected in 2020, I don't think we would have had a war in Ukraine. I think the war in Ukraine is an absolute disaster for Ukraine, for, for Russia, for France, for Germany, for Europe, for, for everybody. I, I think it's a monumental disaster. I think it's 100 times worse than our stupid, needless, irresponsible, idiotic invasion and occupation of Iraq after in 2003. So... I remember after 9-11, there was an explosion of war bloggers. Like all these bloggers, many of them centrists and on the left, and people like Andrew Sullivan, uh, Matt Welch, etc., developing war blogs, like pounding the war 
drums. All right, we need to go to war in Afghanistan. We need to go to war against Iraq. We need to go to war against radical Islam. There's enormous money to be made, an audience to be gained, and opportunities to get laid, warning about the threats of Islamo-fascism. Right? But there's no such thing as Islamo-fascism. But it was a fantastic fundraiser. Right? It was a constant theme in idiotic right-wing talk radio, like the threat of Islamic fascism. But th there's no such thing as Islamo-fascism. Fascism was strictly a World War I to World War II movement between the two world wars as a reaction to communism. And its primary development was in Italy, possibly Nazi Germany, depending on your perspective, was, was also fascist. But fascist Italy and fascist Nazi Germany developed only because of the explosion of the Soviet Union and the threat of Soviet totalitarian communism. There hasn't been any meaningful fascism aside from that. There's never been a meaningful fascist movement in the United States. But there is money to be made. There are audiences to be gained. There are opportunities to get laid preaching about the rising threat of fascism. But it's, it's bogus. There's money to be made. There's an audience to be gained. There are opportunities to get laid talking about the crisis in the Middle East and what the United States needs to do about the crisis in the Middle East. But if the United States, if the Middle East disappeared tomorrow, it wouldn't really have much effect on the well-being of the United States. The well-being of the United States, right, doesn't really have much to do with what's going on in Saudi Arabia or Iran or, or Israel. We're probably overly involved in the Jewish state of Israel for our own good and also for Israel's good. We would probably be, be better off with a more distant relation. But what gets the juices flowing if you're in the foreign policy establishment in the United States? You get your juices flowing by intervening overseas, by taking actions to tell Ukraine, to tell other countries, you know, what leaders they should have, sabotaging some leaders, subsidizing other leaders. And they're playing the great game, facing off against uh, Russia and China and just constantly intervening in, you know, crappy countries overseas and uh, end up doing far more harm to American interests than good. But that's where the excitement is, all right? If you're in the foreign policy establishment, you're in the blob, do you get a feeling of importance? Do you wake up in the morning excited? Do you get to go on TV if you counsel restraint, if you get counsel non-intervention, right? Think about all the people promoting the invasion of Afghanistan in 2001 and Iraq in 2003. None of them paid any price for being so wrong, right? They have just gone on, the pundits have just gone on to success to success. Jeffrey Goldberg, right, promoted the invasion of Afghanistan in 2001, pushed for the invasion of Iraq in 2003, pushed for bombing Iran, all right? And the guy's just been disastrously wrong on so many things. He has a prestigious position as the chief editor of The Atlantic. He's paid no price, nor have any of the other pundits, for being so disastrously wrong about Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, after 9-11, I was not a war blogger. I was not out there saying, we need to go into Afghanistan. We need to hunt down Islamo-fascism. We need to remake the, the Middle East. We need to invade Iraq. No, we need to you know, uh, nation-build in the Middle East and show people how to create democracy. And so there was, there was no you know, opportunity for me to gain an enormous audience you know, abstaining from that kind of talk. But after 9-11, you know, the, the war bloggers just you know, went crazy. They, they discovered this, this new medium of blogging, and it was like, let's promote the war. 
So most of the things that get your juices flowing, right, that get you really excited are not good for you, right? Believing uh, that there's a new world order that's, uh, you know, instituted these draconian COVID lockdowns because they want to, you know, commit mass genocide and, all right, it's years now since the, the COVID vaccine and have any of the supposed, you know, deleterious effects of, you know, mass sterilization and mass death, you know, accompanied the COVID vaccine? No, but there, there's no there's no energy pointing out the, these, you know, common sense observations. There's energy and excitement. There's money to be made. There's or, There are audiences to be gained. There are opportunities to get laid by pushing an anti-establishment line. And I'm not. Mr. Pro-establishment, I think sometimes the establishment's right, sometimes the establishment's wrong. Sometimes the dissidents are right, sometimes the dissidents are wrong. It's entirely case by case. Now, there's an enormous amount of money to be gained, there's an enormous amount of audience to be gained, and there are enormous opportunities for getting laid if you play into people's sense of victimization, if you tell black people, your greatest problems are, you know, evil white devils, right? You can get, you know, a lot of uh, prestige. You can gain attention, all right? We're all competing here in the attention economy. And so getting, getting monetary payoffs is only part of the payoffs for doing things like live streaming and social media and writing posts and blogs and substacks, right? You can also gain attention, but the easiest way to gain attention is to tell your in-group that they are being victimized. Tell Jews that, Christians are screwing them over, that non-Jews are screwing them over in America, all right? There's an enormous Jewish audience there. Tell, the, tell you know, elderly Jews in particular that the Cossacks are coming. We need to fundraise to fight anti-Semitism. There's enormous money to be made. There's enormous, you know, audience to be gained and opportunities to get laid, you know, promoting the, the Cossacks are coming. We need to fight anti-Semitism. Uh, teaching lessons of the Holocaust, all right? A lot of money to be made, audience to be gained opportunities to get laid you know, look at uh, the, the opportunities that people associated with the Simon Wiesenthal Center and the Anti-Defamation League have in fighting anti-Semitism and fighting bigotry and teaching the lessons of the Holocaust which would be identical to the lessons they teach even if there'd never been a Holocaust so there are all these cons right it's not just conservatism that's a, a massive con <laughs> the, the easiest ways to to make money and to gain an audience and to get laid, uh, to take advantage of people, right? To, to show something that's, that's bad for you and bad for them, right? I remember once I was driving along on La Cienega Boulevard and someone rear-ended me at about 20, 25 miles an hour and I was in a van. His car was totaled, but uh, my, my, the back of my van was, was dented. I, I had my seatbelt on. I was okay. So I could have made tens of thousands of dollars going to a chiropractor, getting a, a personal injury lawyer and working the system. But I, I didn't want to work the system because I don't like the effect that, uh, you know, claiming that I've been injured by someone else. I just have no, no interest in taking on unnecessary uh, litigation and I have no interest in keeping a focus on myself as a victim. And Tony Robbins makes occasionally some good points and he strongly advises against carrying out personal injury lawsuits. And I don't strongly advise against carrying out personal injury lawsuits. I think it's, it's entirely situational. You know, there, there's a time and a place for them. But I don't want to be in a lawsuit where I am incentivized to build up as large a case as possible that I've been victimized. I, I just think that's really bad for me and it, it's really bad for, for society. 
and so too you know doing live streaming i've and, and blogging all right I, I frequently focused on the most you know adrenaline rich topics but uh that's not always a good thing now i love the the kennedy assassination all right as, as much as anyone i i've probably read more than 30 books on the kennedy assassination and the evidence is overwhelmingly clear that John F. Kennedy was killed by Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone. But there's no money to be made on that line, right? There's no, there's no audience to be gained. So if, if your appeal depends upon you know, peddling an anti-establishment line, it's going to inevitably lead you to crazier and crazier conspiracy theories so even if your goal is to do good and increase happiness, like uh, Dennis Prager claims, you're inevitably going to you know, go down into some rabbit hole of conspiracy theorizing. And do you ever see pundits and you know, major conspiracy theorists who get laid and paid for promoting conspiracy theories, do you ever see them repent for that? Do you ever see them you know, come back and say, look, I was wrong? You don't see that. I mean... Perhaps the closest example you have is, is Richard Spencer, right? But he doesn't really spend much time apologizing, even though he was peddling a belief system that was absolutely toxic, right? He was promoting himself as the, the new Fuhrer. Like, he was getting hundreds of people to Heil Hitler him. What, what he did was had a heinous effect on thousands of people's lives, and he says, you know, almost nothing about how much damage he's done to other people, how much damage he did to Donald Trump and to uh, the cause of populism and the, the cause of MAGA in this country, if you think those are good things. Richard Spencer did incalculable amounts of damage, but you know, don't, don't expect him to spend much time thinking a second time about the, the damage that he's caused. Uh, there, there's no money to be made or audience to be gained. Now, Richard is brilliant with his hot takes in that they compel your attention. So the modus operandi of Richard Spencer, the through line through everything he does is how can I maximize attention? Sometimes he maximizes attention by you know, saying you know, thoughtful, counterintuitive things. But the, the underlying ethos, the, the underlying psychological need, you know, the, the personality that his political insights are coming out of is you know, command the most attention for me. And that usually does not lead in a good direction. Right? That's not usually good for either the individual or the people who follow such people. Now, what, what people like Richard Spencer and Ben Shapiro and, and Dennis Prager and Andrew Tate and Joe Rogan have in common is that they are charismatic. They make you feel alive. They get your juices flowing, but most of what makes your juices flow is, is not really good for you. Uh, from first grade to 12th grade, every year Dennis Prager was just automatically elected president of his class because he was just so charismatic. And He's been a broadcaster for 40 years. And how has he managed to sustain this career? By continually saying interesting things. How do you continually say interesting things 15 hours a week on a nationally syndicated radio show? You inevitably dip into conspiracy theories that are bogus, like this one. I'll tell you, I have not said this on my radio show. I have not said this publicly till this second. Whoa. I, for the first time in my life, I strongly entertain doubts that Lee Harvey Oswald was the only shooter of John F. Kennedy. I have defended that notion all of my life. There was one shooter, and it was he. Now I'm not sure that there was one, and I'm not even sure it was he. This is very bad. It's a bad sign if a guy like me mm -hmm. is starting to contest it. But the amount of information 
that the Warren Commission did not allow to be public and still doesn't, this government still doesn't, why would they hide any information about the Kennedy assassination? So I have to tell the listeners the story. Dennis knows it because he was there, though. You might as well not have been there because it was just your wife and me exchanging. Did I get that right? Yes. Me. Right. Thank with. you. I, I struggle with that. I wish so I didn't. just drop the other name with me. Nope. Don't say with I. I know that. I, for some reason, clearly yeah. I'm slow. It's no, not, no, you're it's not, not slow. As fast for me in my brain. You're, you're, okay. If you're slow, then much of humanity is non-moving. <laughs> Actually, for a joint birthday and Christmas present, my birthday's in October, Christmas obviously is in December, I'm going to take you to the Grassy Knoll for 24 hours in Dallas. We went We went to Love Field, which is the airport at which um, Air Force One landed. We traced the motorcade route that they went down. We went to Lee Harvey Oswald's boarding house. Obviously, we went to the sixth floor museum. We even went to a corner where Officer Tippett, one of the police officers, was shot by Lee Harvey Oswald. We did it all. I was struck by how small the site mm-hmm, is because mm-hmm. they're taken with the pictures are taken with wide angle lenses and you think it's this massive place no it's not anyway that's not the point i was telling sue this story of how i visited the the kennedy assassination site okay so sue is dennis prager's wife and julie hartman right she's 23 and as men get older we have a greater and greater need and desire and, and put more and more of a premium on being admired so what does Dennis Prager get out of co-hosting a show, you know, with a 23-year-old, right? It's not the profundity of her insights, right? It's not, you know, her, her cutting-edge acuity about uh, current events or morality, philosophy, or religion. No, he gets an admiration machine that just pumps out the admiration, right? She's joined the Dennis Prager cult and it's paying off for her, right? She's a full-time uh, podcaster. She fills in for, for Dennis Prager on his nationally syndicated radio show but at, at the price of her soul you now she's fallen into a cult and uh the damage that it is steadily wreaking on her is significant and she you remember this dinner she dove in and you're and sue prager is like the number one researcher in the united states she is so smart so well read yeah, yeah the number one researcher in the united states for coming up with uh, conspiracy theories all right she has she has really bad epistemics all right she she can't tell, you know, truth from a hole in the wall. And she gave me one after the other, these things that didn't add up. And she's right. And you, let me tell Let me guess. Everything that she comes up with that doesn't add up has been thoroughly addressed and thoroughly debunked. As someone who's just read an endless amount of the Kennedy assassination, right? I, I've, I've read many of the uh, Kennedy assassination conspiracy books, right? Virtually all of the objections have been debunked. Here's the one. That has not been debunked. We don't know enough about what exactly went on when Lee Harvey Oswald went to Mexico City a few weeks before the assassination. What exactly went on when he visited the Cuban embassy? So there's something, there may be something there that uh, we don't know about and might be important. Tell you one very eerie thing that I remember. You know the Zapruder film? Uh, It's the, the only film. The only film of the assassination. If you look, it's not okay. It's not the only film, the assassination. All right, there, there are twenty nine uh, films and people taking photos of the assassination. All right, there's other film and uh, pictorial, you know, evidence of the assassination, not just the Zapruder film. Look at it. It's just, it's a ter- terrible video to watch, but it's but it's also fascinating. There's a first shot, and President Kennedy leans forward and cl- no, the first shot. Didn't hit anyone. Right? The first shot hit the pavement, and various uh, law enforcement officers, you know, saw that there was, you know, a bullet had gone into the pavement, and they were like, you know, what the heck is that? The second shot 
went into John F. Kennedy's back and then came out his throat here, which is why he is bringing his, you know, hands, he's bringing his hands here to, to, to his throat. Right, that's, that's what's uh, going on there. Clutches his, his, um, his neck. The second shot, which again supposedly came from behind because it was supposedly shot by Lee Harvey Oswald in the sixth floor uh, museum or depository. Now, now it's a museum, then it wasn't um, from behind. But in the Zapruder film, he lunges backwards, not forwards. If he were shot in the head from behind, as is the narrative, he would have fallen forwards. That's the way movement and gravity works. But in the video, that second shot that hit his head, his head goes backward. Okay, she she doesn't have a clue about what she's talking about. She'd realize that if she spent a little time uh, researching this. So, you know, what revelations, what evidence has come in that has caused, you know, Dennis Prager for the first time to strongly entertain doubts that Lee Harvey Oswald was the only shooter of John F. Kennedy or if he was even a shooter of John F. Kennedy has absolutely nothing to do with evidence. No evidence has come in. Right. Nothing new has been revealed. It's just that all the rewards that Dennis Prager gets as a public figure, you know, the nationally syndicated right wing talk show is to be anti-establishment. And this is the kind of nutty conspiracy rabbit hole that you go down when all your incentives, all your rewards are to reach for more and more conspiracies. So Dennis says it's a bad sign if a guy like me is starting to contest it. Yes, it's a bad sign. But Dennis thinks it's a bad sign about America. It's a bad sign about America's political system and America's academia and America's news media, right? But it's really just a bad sign about Dennis Prager that he is willing to push you know, such poison into the American soul for the sake of his own you know, feelings of, of fame and being the, the center of attention. Why would you hide any information about the Kennedy assassination? Well, virtually no important information about the Kennedy assassination ha has been hid. To, to the best of our knowledge about it, right? And this idea, oh, the third shot, all right, so the third shot from Lee Harvey Oswald is the kill shot, blows John F. Kennedy's head, you know, wide open. So, you know, what's, what's going on here? All right, so Zapruder was one, by the way, of at least 32 people in Daly Plaza in Dallas who made film or still photographs at or around the time of the shooting. So Zapruder film is not the only film of the assassination. So the second shot, right? The second shot goes into Kennedy's back, comes out his throat. Then the third shot, what Julie calls the second shot, you know, why does his head go back with the deadly headshot? So I read uh, Gerald Posner's 1993 book, Case Closed, and Posner writes, but if the president was struck in the head by a bullet fired from the rear, then why does he jerk so violently backward on the Zapruder film, which recorded the assassination? To most lay people, the rapid backward movement at the moment of the headshot means the president was struck from the front. And that's what you would think if you don't know much. But uh, you had an high-tech optical system did a computer enhancement of the Zapruder film for a CBS documentary in 1967, right? So this knowledge has been out there for, for many decades. Discovered when the bullet, right, the final of the three fired by Lee Harvey Oswald hit JFK's head, right? He first jerked forward 2.3 inches and then he began his movement backward. So why did the president jerk backwards when hit in the back of the head by a bullet fired from behind him? Because the bullet destroyed the president's cortex, right? 
that causes a neuromuscular spasm that sends neurological impulses from the brain down the spine to every muscle in the body. And the body then stiffens, right? And the strongest muscles in your body will predominate. And these tend to be the muscles of the back and the neck. So that's why when most people encounter a stimulus, whether it's a pretty girl smiling at them or a, a boss frowning at them or a loud, unexpected sound, their first reaction is to jerk their head back and down and to compress their shoulders, right? Because these muscles are the strongest, right? You get a stimulus, you're tightening in the neck and back. So when you're activated unexpectedly, expectedly, when you're thinking, right, when you're thinking really hard, when you're straining, right, you're going to feel a tremendous incentive to try to tighten your back and neck muscles, which will bring your head back and down onto your spine, compressing your spine. So with, with Alexander Technique, we can learn about this fear reflex, right? When this fear reflex of tipping the head back and down onto the spine, shortening the spine, when it becomes a habit, when it becomes habitual, tends to lead people to walk around with their head permanently tilted back with the neck and the shoulders compressed. So that makes movement as well as emotions and, and thinking more awkward. So freedom comes from letting go, from noticing and releasing and inhibiting this unnecessary fight or flight reflex by releasing the tendency, inhibiting the tendency to compress the neck and the shoulders and to consciously free the neck and to release the head to lead your spine into length moving forward and up. So Zapruder, let's look at uh, Zapruder here, three one. Where do we go? Right. Film, film 313, frame 313. Right, this is the headshot to John F. Kennedy. Right, this frame was originally withheld by the editors at Life. Then Zapruder, 335, John Connolly, the governor of Texas. He's slumped into his wife's lap. Kennedy, he's now mortally wounded. He's going to die. He's leaning towards Jackie. And that blob on the side of his head, right, that is his skull and his scalp peeling outward and down. And this frame was also originally withheld by the editors at Life. So let's play a little more of this craziness. That was one of the things that I thought was well, eerie. Didn't uh, add up. I don't know nearly as much as Sue does on this, but I'll give you one more. Uh, if, if it's true, the Warren Commission never saw the autopsy pictures. Really? And that is true. And guess what? There were mistakes made by the Warren Commission. Overall, the Warren Commission did an amazing job. But it's a human institution, and it was flawed, right? So I went to the National Archives that keep all these things. And it's a common misconception that the records relating to the assassination of President Kennedy are in some way sealed. The records are largely open, available to the research community. With few exceptions, virtually all of the records identified as belonging to the Kennedy collection have been open in part or in full. Now, Vincent Bugliosi wrote a terrific book, Reclaiming History about the all the different conspiracy theories about the Kennedy assassination. And he, he knows there was hardly a junior counsel on the staff who did not harbor or vent his own criticisms of some of the Warren Commission's decisions and procedures. Right? So one guy complained that the work of the commission staff was hampered here and there by political considerations. There were errors of judgments by the commissioners, including the Chief Justice Warren Berger, there were mistakes ranging from the overzealous marking of evidence as top secret when it wasn't top secret to the lack of direct access to parts of the record that was vital, particularly the autopsy photographs and x-rays of President Kennedy's body. 
There are inaccurate reports from all of the investigative agencies, including the FBI, the Secret Service, and the police in Dallas. There were myriad contradictions, anomalies, false leads that peppered the record. Nevertheless, overall, the Warren Commission still did an amazing job. So what conspiracy theories, uh, what would be considered conspiracy theories that I think might be true? Uh, probably the the government, you know, tap, tapping all our phones and, and emails, and some people using that to get rich, using that information illicitly to get rich. Also, uh, having blackmail over leading political figures. So, Dennis Hastert was Speaker of the House, Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives, incredibly powerful position. But it must be widely known by people in the know that he had molested boys when he was a high school wrestling coach. So they probably held that over Hassett. They probably maneuvered Hassett into that position because they could control him. So I, I think there's a lot more to the Jeffrey Eps, Epstein story that I think that sort of blackmail goes on all the time. Here's another example of a, you might consider a conspiracy theory. Uh, Hugh Hefner, you know, videotaped taped everything that went on at the Playboy Mansion. There's almost never any bad press about Hugh Hefner because he had blackmail on almost everybody who might have been in a position to write or say negative things about him. So I think there's extensive amount of sexual blackmail on people that uh, people like Jeffrey Epstein you know, accumulate sexual blackmail on people and that influences the news and important government decisions you know, far more than we know. So there's, there's probably, those are the, probably my two leading conspiracy theories that I believe in. That's a little scary. If that's true, they got, they got uh, drawings, but they never got the pictures. Why didn't they get the pictures? Uh, look, it, it's, a, it's a very, dis- the whole thing's disturbing. How did we even get onto the Kennedy assassination? Oh, because... I usually could trace things I know, back. I usually can too. You were talking about your grandfather seeing the horse and buggy and then the man on the moon. Right. And then you, oh, because I said the moon, some people think the moon landing oh, was a conspiracy. conspiracy. That's how we well, got look, there. Well, look, Dennis, a lot of, I hate to say it because I don't like to consider myself to be a conspiracy theorist. I've, I've never at least to my knowledge, entertain them. But a lot of so-called conspiracy theories have come true. Remember when it was a conspiracy theory that COVID came from a lab mm-hmm. and not from a bat? Mm-hmm. That turned out to be true. Mm-hmm. Remember that it was a conspiracy theory that President Trump did, in fact, not collude with the Russians in the 2016 election? That turned out to be true, that he did not collude. That There have been several examples of well, that. Well, it's getting worse and worse, actually. The Is it a conspiracy theorist only who believes that the World Economic Forum would like the world to be run by people who have some centralized authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's obvious that they do. Anyway, I want to go back to Europe for a moment. I wrote one of my columns about the a different sense that I had living there than in America. I have to make this clear. I've gone abroad every single year of my life since before your age, since 18. Only 2020, because there was nowhere you could go. Even 2021, when it was very hard to go abroad, I did go to Hungary to give a speech. So I have been, I've come back to America vast numbers of times. And all of my life, welcome to, the, welcome to the United States or the immigration officer checking your passport, welcome home. And I got the chills and I see the American flag. And I don't have that anymore. Do you understand what a price that is? See, it's, this is back to our discussion. Who's it worse for the, the decline of America in every way now? Your generation for whom this is your present and maybe future or my generation who has seen the decline? I don't have an answer to the question, but, but 
Yeah, let's get a uh, little uh, Richard Spencer here talking about uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck Johnson. Maintaining Southern pride that should be done just as like good measure, good neighborly working order. But increasingly, when they're like flying the stars and bars in Israel, right, during their Netanyahu pro, pro Netanyahu protests, or when they are like making these homages to, you know, you know ca calling for a national divorce, which is a Marjorie Taylor Greene talking point, like, fuck these people. Like, they're not, um, they need to be humiliated again, and they need to be reminded of like who won the war. And this is kind of like, I mean, again, we have a vice president from Indiana uh, who is an Irishman, right? Like his family, again, like wasn't in the country when the Civil War was going on. And he's talking about bringing back Fort Bragg. And it's like, no, fuck you. Like, you know, you have no business in this. You know, um, I don't know. It's just, it's maddening to me that like these people are even allowed to have a, like, we would not tolerate somebody who was an immigrant coming like 10 minutes ago, lecturing us on like the Civil War. You know, it's, it's absurd, you know? And like, we have this guy, Vivek Ramaswamy or whatever his name is, like lecturing us about affirmative action. And it's like, bro, you showed up 10 minutes ago. Like you don't get, you don't get a say in these things. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, Charles, listen, I, I resonate with what you're saying, but like, it, it's, you're, you're just like bloviating here. I mean, this, welcome to the United States of America. You know, I don't know. Like, I think, I think that we who are legacy Americans shouldn't just sh like give up this territory. Well, you know? I get it. Agree. There's, there's something fundamentally wrong in the way this country was conceived that this is even possible and it is possible and it's already happened. And so like, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, there's this weird, like, kind of the, the kind of wasp, like nostalgia or racialism in the United States. Like, at some point, you need to reach the conclusion that this country is antithetical to what you want. Oh, so I don't agree with that at all. Like, I think when Ben Shapiro starts making claims about, like, you know, which flag people fought for in World War II when his family was, like, in Europe, we should be reminding them of their place in the debate. And I, I don't. You can agree say that, like, that, but Ben Shapiro is ultimately part of a multi-billion-dollar organization. Yeah, but that can that, be taken. But that, but that can be taken from him. Inflects the minds of white Americans more than we do. Yes, and that can, and that can and should be taken from him. I totally endorse it, but like, you know, needless to say, I endorse that. But like, we, we've just got to understand. We've got to like get back into reality and not just like no, get I, on I, our high horse. I, I don't think we're getting on our high horse. I think we're making a very like when I make when when Ben Shapiro lectures, you know, lectures those of us who have family that like were decorated in World War II while his family was in Europe. Um, like when he pretends to speak for America, um, we should be reminding him that like he doesn't get a claim in this conversation. It would be like it would be like a white person telling a black person about slavery. It's like, no, like you don't get like if you don't have any connection to that history. Well, like, many white people do have a connection to slavery. Well, they know quite a bit about it. Yeah. I understand your point. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's a certain level of like actually like there are heritage Americans or legacy Americans. Well, and, like, I know, but this look, this country, like do you not grasp that there is something like fundamentally problematic about the cons very conception of the United States? Yeah, so and this, it's is, actually, this it's is where you and I part ways. It's been one of the great stuff. things. It actually has allowed it to succeed in many ways. I am fair. I'm not just some like anti-American like reactionary. It's, it's, it's allowed it to succeed, but you it, it also will kind of probably ultimately bring it down. Oh, so I don't agree with this. I think that what is saving the United States right now are wasp Americans like um, that very well might be the Shelton case. White House or people who have connections. I mean, people who have that might be the case, but like there, there is an internal program within the United States that is going to like displace those people on behalf of Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I think that the, I, I think well. I think that there's a vision that there's a lie that basically a lot of people have that we're a nation of immigrants. And I don't believe that for a second. I think that the, the scene from The Good Shepherd, where it's like, what do you people have? Uh, right. You know, the United States of America and the rest of you all are just visiting like. 
I think that that is true. Um, and it certainly comports with my understanding of how like the world really works. Like when it really comes down to it, what people want from the heritage Americans and legacy Americans is leadership. And for many years, like our WASP classes have like hung out with their second or third wives, drinking their third or fourth martinis. I think most people are not going to put their, their primary importance on who are heritage Americans and who are not. People will give their allegiance and listen to people who are effective, who give them good vibes, who are in positions of power and influence, right? People aren't going to, you know, tally up who's who's more of a heritage American, right? So to the extent that uh, Ben Shapiro is successful, it's because he's meeting people's needs, right? To the extent that you know, Vivek Ramaswamy or Oprah or Joe Rogan are successful is because, you know, they're, they're meeting people's needs, whether they're meeting their needs through encouraging delusions, but uh, the, the power of uh, being a legacy American is just not going to be overwhelming for most Americans. It's not their primary consideration. What's primary consideration for most people is what's best for me and for my family, right? And, uh, you know, who's a legacy American and who has more claim to be a legacy American is just simply not how the world works. And I'm coming back here a thousand times if I have to make this point. I mean, when these idiots look up in the sky, they see a face like mine looking down at them. At the, the country club. But like we saw what that got us, right? That got us the presidency of Donald Trump and really of Jared Kushner. And it got us a kind of looting of the treasury and it got us like where we are now. And so I think what's happening is that just as in all moments of crisis, like there are people who are rising up and, and coming back and basically like making it clear who's in charge and who's not in this country. And, you know, one of the great, I mean, Joe Biden is one such person, right? Like the no malarkey tour, like couldn't, I mean, was there ever any more waspish sentiment than that? I mean, he, he LARPs as an Irishman, but we all kind of know that he's very British to the core. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly think that like, we've kind of allowed the multi-culti, you know, anything goes, whatever kind of thing to go on. But like, it's time to be serious about like, who's in charge. Yeah, of yeah Charles, the, I mean, I, I hate to sound like a conservative here, but like, there was a gay pride Dionysian, like mystery cult festival on the white house lawn this past weekend just as a yeah. reminder about and, how and serious who, these people are and who cares well i i kind of i kind of agree with you in a way i don't care because i'm so like over it but like let's just not pretend that and a uh, question in the chat why is charles johnson so delusional uh because it's exciting because i mean i've had my own share of delusions and so to the extent that uh what's going on with charles johnson mirrors my own experience it's very exciting to be cutting edge to telling tough truths that no one else is saying also charles johnson's a very intelligent man who has has been incredibly influential at times he introduced matt gates to his wife charles johnson played a significant role in who was selected to go to work for the trump administration <laughs> all right he's not a nobody right this man has had his finger in many stories. He has been way ahead of the curve uh, on many stories, but everyone's a mixed bag, right? I don't dismiss Charles Johnson because he overstates some things. He, he's wrong about some things. I think he's delusional about some things. He's also way ahead of the curve on a lot of things. So there's a lot of nonsense when you listen to Charles Johnson and read Charles Johnson, but in, in the nonsense, there are some gold nuggets. These are ultimately serious people. They're, they're like, ultimately able to rule this stuff no i mean, I mean let, I, the, I just, let the queers fly their rainbow flag who cares well i i get that but like there, there was something shockingly so why does charles johnson always act like he holds secret knowledge about literally everything because he does hold uh, more secret knowledge 
than almost anyone we know. And he's probably more likely to spill it than almost anyone we know. The price of you know, listening to Charles Johnson is you have to you know, put up with a lot of nonsense, but you're on a fairly regular basis you know, get some real insight into what's going on that you will not hear anywhere else. Right? He's the type of man who can change history, right? Because he's very intelligent. He does know a lot of secret information and he knows a lot of people, right? And he has abilities to, you know, form connections with, you know, very powerful, very influential people. And so, you know, don't be surprised if uh, Charles Johnson, you know, dominates some future news cycle. And just because he's wrong about some things and delusional about some things doesn't mean that he doesn't also bring some valuable information to the party at times. Official about it all that I, I think a lot of people were reacting to. And, and I really understand them in a way. I mean, again, I, I don't dwell on any of the stuff because I'm just so over it and whatever. But like it's. And why is Richard just so over it? Because it's no longer going to give him an audience, give him income and you know, make him an incredibly influential or, or powerful person, right? Because it has no utility for his, you know, magnification and uh, sanctification of himself. That's, that's why he's so over it. That's, that's what I think anyway. All right, play a little bit more. It's a real thing. And I, I don't, like, I, I guess I'm just ultimately much more, like, I, I'm much more hostile towards very core ideas that have been around in America for a very long time. I am, I'll just be honest, hostile towards the puritanical element that has been with the United States. I mean, I'm, I'm much more like open towards the cavalier, um, you know, Washington, Jefferson, slave owning types, uh, despite some of their rhetoric. Isn't but, that your stock too, right? Didn't your family come right, to Virginia? Yes, yeah, sort of. But I'm, I'm very hostile towards like a lot of elements in this country. And like our fundamental like soft power state ideology ultimately is like global homo. I mean, let's let's just be honest. Yep. The question is like, what is wrong with global homo? A lot. Well, I mean, people always say this, right? But like, I look at a world in which we had all these closeted queers being blackmailed. Like, no, I, you know, I get that. I get this. The, the, Charles, you, that. Let I them out of the closet. Agree. Let them dance around. I you know, kind like, of agree cares? with this like contrarian hot take, to be honest. But like, you're you're just you're you're trying to like. Do you that. think Joe Biden respects people to judge? Oh, probably not. Yeah, not no probably about it. Okay? okay. Like, do you think that anyone sees it sees him as anything other than a joke, right? And the but same why goes for he there. I mean, because he's because he, Joe Biden is an emperor, and an emperor has people that pay him tribute. So all of the well, games. Why do you want tribute paid by some like? Because like he had Mormon, gay he had, Mormon from India. <laughs> well, because he had, I mean, he had all this money that came in through all the weird tech Jews that backed him and all the McKinsey weirdos. Okay. I mean, the same thing with, like, Joe Biden basically knows that Kamala Harris is a hoe, right? And he put her as his vice president to have her go shake down Silicon Valley for money for his campaign because he didn't want to go and deal with those people, right? Okay. So, like, there's this view, like, all right, you give the, you give the homos, like, a parade on the lawn, right? Who cares? Let them parade around and, like, do their thing, and then they'll leave. And who will be sitting in the commander-in-chief chair? Right. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's like one of these things where it's like it's this symbolic bullshit of like, you know, it's one thing if it's in I, school. I, I get, I get right? your perspective. Like, I, I get that it is. I, I agree that it's symbolic bullshit. But sometimes the symbolic bullshit can kind of like seep into the point where you believe in the symbolic bullshit. I mean, I think that's been like the history. Do you, I mean, do you believe States. it? Do, do you believe it? Of course, I don't believe it. Okay, but does, like, any, does anyone here really believe it? No, we're not representative. Yeah, but it's like, look, it's just like it's like tons of Americans 
believe in this kind of like you know it's, it's ultimately like what christianity has become it's like jesus's covenant is like love love one another guy like this no, is this resonates i think, resonates I, I, I think there's a shitload of people like i'll give you an example right so there was this there was this woman i was seeing who was a nurse during the 2020 black lives matter craziness okay and she's like you know lily white chick uh i think she's like irish I'm not totally sure she's like indeterminate white race right and yeah she was really fun i'd have her over whatever we do those things that you do right after you get out of a divorce indeterminate white race you know what i'm talking about though she's like she's like she's like some kind of white ethnic you're not really sure it's kind of rude you're not totally sure anyway whatever it doesn't matter but the the black lives matter like riots started taking place and we'll call it we'll call her uh i don't know we'll call her courtney for the purposes of this, uh, this thing. No, we'll call her Bethany. That's even better. So Bethany, you know, <laughs> posts this, you know, Black Lives Matter sticker on her Instagram. And I see it. And I'm like, yo, what's up with this? You know, um, yeah, what are you doing here? And I was like, do you actually believe this shit? And she goes, no, but my boss did it. And like some of my friends did it. So whatever, who cares? And well, that was like, kind of my point. No, but, but that is, that is how most Americans actually are. They are, okay, whatever. You need me to like wear the flag pin that's like of the queers? Yeah, sure, I, I whatever. Think a lot of Americans really believe in this goobly cobbly nonsense about, like all people being equal and loving one another. I mean, this is, again, like, again, I guess I'm getting real deep here, but a lot of people talk about this stuff as like a replacement religion or something. I mean, this is Christianity. Like, this is what Christianity has always been about. And it's why, like, I'm dedicating my life to annihilating Abrahamic religions by well, demoralizing them at the very core. Good luck. It's, Maybe you'll be the first. I mean, no, it, I'm not the first to try, but like, I mean, this will look, happen because I mean, this is like, they're all going out. Maybe. Like, let's just be frank about the fact that all of this googly gobbly nonsense directly appeals to most people. Nah. You know? I think, it's, I, I think it's one of these faddish things in life. Okay, I want to play some excerpts from a conversation between the two hosts of Decoding the Gurus, a couple of lefty academics. This is Chris Cavanaugh speaking first. He's Irish and Matt Brown, psychologist from Australia. Jung, Jung who is a, a Jordan Peterson fan. And I debated with, with him about Jordan Peterson to some extent. And actually, even before all the RFK stuff happened, we talked about, you know, the role of debating to address scientific issues. And um, if you listen, if that thing ever comes out or it's on his channel, you'll hear all the same arguments that came up the next day being discussed ahead of like the Rogan thing happening. So it's quite funny. Mm. But we have a slight difference of, of opinion about the value of debates, don't we? I mean, you have a positive opinion because you enjoy arguing. Uh, I have a, the correct opinion that they're useless uh, because they obviously are. Uh, no, I don't think. Do you agree? Yeah, we don't. Um, sadly, we don't have a strong disagreement with this because I don't think, in general, they are uh, like they're, they're absolutely no. Debates are compelling. They're entertaining. They are not usually terribly useful in establishing truth. So let me play a little bit more here from these uh, blokes that decoding the gurus. Like they maintain the sense of grievance, and that's that's the bit that I'm going to find. I think it could stay with us, which is that they're just they're just adding to this big dossier of of un, you know how we was wronged, and yeah. it's 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 like I, I tweeted about this, but but it's very much like the you know the, the World War One German conspiracy stabbed in the back theory about um, which was this this you know basically you know this this theory that the that the Jews and the elites or whatever you know we could have won World War One, but we were never defeated on the field, but we were stabbed in the back by these surrender monkeys, and um, they're the people to blame for everything that's going on. I mean that kind of resentment theory can persist for a long time and lay the groundwork for for new things um for, for new rhetoric so yeah. it, it seems like the the whole covid thing now has that role for them um, yeah. yeah i i i saw a tweet by destiny which i like um where he you know he basically said there's been no mass deaths no birth defects no mass sterilizations no uh permanent lockdowns all the list of you know the things that people were saying were going to happen none of it has happened 
and it doesn't matter, right? Like it's that's the thing you should focus on. But like you say, there's an alternate reality where they were all proven correct about like everything that they claim. But I feel a little bit that that's priced in to some extent now. Like you're you can see that that narrative has like taken hold on the right, and they the actual facts are kind of independent from you know the and if that's the case, then I don't know how many more they're gonna suck in. Okay, so you can't have. This is, I think they're giving a, a useful but superficial perspective. You can't have a strong in-group identity without it also being accompanied by a strong sense of victimization, right? You strongly identify as a Jew. You will strongly identify with the suffering of the Jewish people. And the stronger your in-group identity, the more likely you will be to have negative feelings about out-groups. The stronger your Christian identity, the more you will think about and feel Christian suffering and the more animus you'll have towards... Uh, non-Christian. So there is no strong in-group identity without a tremendous sense of how your group has been victimized, right? Ties are wonderful, but ties, as Jonathan Hyde points out, bind and blind, right? When you build up your in-group identity, you become blind to the the suffering of, of out-groups. It just ceases to matter to you. But you can't have a strong in-group identity without taking on this sense of victimhood. And it's not something that's unique to the right, right? People on the left have it, blacks have it, Jews have it, homosexuals have it, uh, white Christians have it, the Japanese have it. And every strongly identifying in-group has intense feelings of victimization and negative feelings about out-groups. And having a strong in-group identity is a wonderful way to lead a life. You know, I love it. As a convert to Orthodox Judaism, I love my strong in-group identity. I got to admit, though, you know, it binds me and it blinds me. Right, I don't lose much sleep over Arab suffering, Muslim suffering, even though Arabs and Muslims have suffered terribly, but because there are group conflicts between Jews and Arabs and Muslims, in particular over the modern Jewish state of Israel, all right, in, in the aftermath, in the, in the presence of that ongoing conflict, all right, I primarily just think about my, my own side and the suffering of my own side and the victimization of my own side. With, with that view, because like you say, I think like if you're on the right, that's your narrative about what happened in, in COVID. But that was also your narrative during the pandemic, right? Like, so are there many people now? And lockdowns aren't still going on. You know, mm -hmm. like mask wearing has been kind of reduced in, in most places as an obligatory practice. So I think the, the kind of reaction that a lot of libertarian types had, it's, it's losing power because it's not happening, <laughs> right? right? They, they can't. They talk about the Australian death camps yeah. anymore because they're not there. Yeah, no, no, I hear what you're saying. I think it is. I think it is priced in, and the, the people that wanted to feel grievance and resentment, as you say, felt it at the time. And if they want to, if you want to be angry and feel resentful towards some villains um, who've done you, well, they don't. They don't understand any in-group identity is going to come with an intense feeling of, of victimization. It's not just some uh, right thing, right-wing thing, right? It's just, it's just the way that uh, you know social identity works i and so sorry Matt, i i saw a comment by adam who was pointing out that uh you know uh mcconaughey is a multimillionaire. so like why why do it right like why are they doing that and i think the thing to note here is what our friend coffeezilla mentioned which is compared to us Ed mcconaughey is fabulously wealthy and doesn't need anything right he could just do nothing for the rest of his life and he'd be extremely rich but he lives in an environment surrounded by all the rich people including like self-help multimillionaire moguls and like there's there's the two things there's the one about like his baseline is other rich millionaires right so 
that the more money thing can all is all relative. But the second thing is, uh, you know, a lot of people who are financially stable, whenever or, or even like fabulously wealthy, they really want something else, right? Because they're not just satisfied by being wealthy, like they need other things to make them feel like they have meaning. And that's why you see, you know, tech bros like Jack Dorsey going off to meditate in caves or Mark Zuckerberg waxing lyrical about Brazilian jiu-jitsu now, right? Like they, they need to have a sense of meaning and spirituality um, to, to be more than just like somebody with a high bank balance, I think. So it's, it is a similar dynamic to why do you find wealthy, well-educated people joining cults? Um, because they want magic in the world. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like yeah, um, people, like so someone like Trump, for instance, would, would feel like even though he's fabulously wealthy compared to people like you and me, he would feel subjectively nowhere near wealthy enough because he's comparing himself to people with serious, serious money and would like to be able to lord it over them. So whatever your social milieu, you're going to be comparing yourself to them. I mean, I see this amongst my family, people that I know that, you know, drive Mercedes Benzes and send their kids to the very expensive schools. And suddenly they're surrounded by other people that drive a slightly more expensive model Mercedes Benz and their kids are going. Okay, you want more Dennis and Julie. You get more Dennis and Julie. We discussed it a little bit last episode. Why is it that American youngsters, and not even just youngsters, just Americans, are more jaded than it seems the people who you observed in, in Europe? By the way, is, is it right to say Europe, Romania, and Bulgaria? Totally. That's just Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was saying this to you last night on the phone. It's very difficult right now to be young. It's always difficult in some ways to be young, but especially now. So why is Dennis Prig having all these private, you know, you know, daily phone calls, text messages, there with a 23-year-old woman because she gives him the the admiration that uh, we aging men just strongly, strongly crave. Because, again, as I said to you on the phone, what is the incentive to work hard when merit... Oh, I want you to know something. I'm yep. sorry for interrupting, nope, but fine. you will be happy in this case. I cited you on my radio show. Oh, with thank that you. Point. That point is bloody brilliant. Thank you. We. Uh, this is what I said. I said... Okay, I got to tell you the whole. You'll Wait, love let me this. just tell you yes. what it is for I'm the sorry, listeners. I'm sorry, you're right. No, uh, yes, yes. No, no, no. I just because I've listened to Dennis and Julie, and we do this because we know each other's thoughts. Yeah. But just so the listeners know, correct, and then I'll shut correct, up. Correct. Is is what is the incentive for young people to work hard if merit is no longer the principal thing that you are being rewarded for? If every program is just we're going to take X amount of transgender people, X amount of black people, X amount of women. W- yes, women. And and I'll tell you another thing. There's that. There's not an incentive to work hard because merit is no longer being rewarded as much as it was. But also, because this goes with the jadedness thing. People my age are paralyzed by fear because they're so afraid that one thing they may say or do will get them canceled. Mm-hmm. And so they think, I, 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 nope, I'm not going to go there in class. I'm not going to challenge my classmates' opinion in front of this section because then they, and this happens, classmates will, will go on social media and post pictures of people who they have heard or seen say uh, conservative things and say, unfollow this person, cancel this person, they're a bigot. I mean, literally, we live in the age of there are some individuals who engage in that public humiliation. So no wonder we're jaded. Anyway, go ahead. That's another huge point I, I, I would like to return to at some point. So I want to make clear, this is what I said on my show. You, you'll really like this, because aside from your, my citing you, because it was such a great point, and I want to explain to people why it's a great point. But first, so I am working on the fourth book of my five-book commentary on the five books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Book of Numbers. It's a boring name in English. In Hebrew, it's called In, in the Wilderness. Most mm. people are not familiar with the Book of Numbers, but it, it, is, it, it is incredibly, incredibly interesting and important, as all five books are. Anyway, I'm up to chapter 27. And in the chapter is one line, and you know how much I show might be pregnant in one line because you such a, I'm so delighted, avid reader of my Bible commentary. So it speaks about, you know, there were two brothers, Moses and Aaron. So Aaron had a son. Aaron had three sons, actually. 
two, two died at the hand of God. It's a separate issue. But one was the high priest. So he succeeded Aaron, who was the high priest. His son succeeded Aaron. But Moses' sons did not succeed. Neither succeeded Moses. Hmm. And who did? A man named Joshua. He was the successor to Moses. And he, Joshua was not only not related to Moses, Joshua was of a different tribe than Moses. Why did God pick Joshua? And it says why. Because he was, he was such an excellent man. He was a courageous man. He, he... Look, there are advantages to choosing you know, leaders on merit. There are also advantages to having things just hereditary, right? Uh, kings and queens tend to be a hereditary position. So different approaches have different advantages and disadvantages. It's not like, you know, one approach is always the best. He was the, one of the two spies who differed with the other spies who said Canaan can't be conquered. I don't want to get into detail, but he's a very great man. And my, this is the point that I make. This, in one fell swoop, killed one of the most uh, powerful impediments to progress, choosing people not by merit. Well said. Oh, it's, it's huge. Joshua became Moses' successor, not because of family, not because of blood, not because of paying off anything. Merit. Period. End of issue. It started with that story. Moses' sons, we hear nothing about. Must have bothered Moses. Aaron's son to succeed at him. Why didn't my son, or one of my two sons at least, succeed me? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, a lot of parents don't <laughs> want their, their children succeeding them. A lot of parents think their kids are idiots. Uh, a lot of parents are threatened by their own children's success. Because there was a guy with more merit named Joshua. And that we are undoing the bases of civilization. I now have another book for you to read because you read books like people eat candy bars. <laughs> they do, with the same joy, except this is more lasting. And it's, it's titled, Who Prospers? Oh. Yes, Lawrence E. Harrison. I read this many years ago. And he asks the greatest question, the most important question. Why do some societies prosper and others don't? Yes. Gosh, this guy spent his that. life. He's an, he was an American scholar thinker. He spent his life with USAID. That's our... I can tell you why some societies prosper while others don't. All right, society is filled with high IQ people. They prosper. Right, just that one factor accounts for about 70% of the variation in economic growth. Just the average IQ of society. Right? One little test accounts for about 70% of variation in economic prosperity. And, and with economic prosperity comes you know, power and influence in the world. So it's not because of uh, familism or this book that uh, Dennis is citing. Or a big uh, international aid thing. And he was in Latin America most of his life, all, and the head of the missions in various countries. And he asked the great question, why is North America successful and South America and Latin America or mm -hmm. Central America not successful? Mm -hmm. And this was one of his biggest reasons. They have familism. We don't. You want to give a job in, in Latin America? You give it to your son, your son-in-law, your cousin, your uncle, your this, your that. In America, you gave it to the best guy. Totally. We are going backward. The whole anti-merit thing, and that's when I cited you, the whole anti-merit thing is backward. You cannot prosper as a society if you don't reward merit. Period. End of issue. You can't. You know that there's an Asian student. He he had, what was what is the highest score on SAT? Oh, I saw this. What um, is the highest possible? 1,600. He had a 1,590. Yeah, 1,590. And, a and he was rejected six, by six colleges. Yep. Oh, it's total discrimination. Oh, total. It's because he's Asian. Yep. Harvard did this to Jews in the 1930s. There were too many Jews. That's a very famous story. Yeah, you're right. So, so the, the United Airlines is reserving half of its places for pilots to women and men. Okay, so that uh, Asian kid with a 1590 SAT, he's going to be just fine, all right? Uh, in the United States today, because of affirmative action and other things, now merit is not the only determinant of success in life. It, merit has never been the sole determinant of success in life, but this Asian kid with a 1590 SAT score, I'd say the odds are 99% that he's going to do quite well in life. 
In fact, I would say the odds are 99% that he will do better than those who got into the Ivy League in his place on the basis of affirmative action. Minorities, not to the best pilots, to women and minorities. They may be great, they may not be. The, the, and the left, of course, the left crushes everything it touches, and the issue is another example. Anti-merit means the end of the society in which you live. We will now go... Okay, this idea that the left crushes everything it touches. All right, America's educational system is controlled by the left. It's also the best in the world, right? The different races in America score higher in test results than these, these same races anywhere else in the world. So there's an audience to be gained. There's money to be made. Right, telling people how awful our public schools are and how evil teachers' unions are. Our public schools, our educational system, is doing a damn good job. Is it flawed? Yeah. Right? There, are, there are problems with it. But overall, compared to other nations on this planet, the United States of America educational system is the best. America's healthcare system overall is the best. Other nations in the world, free ride of America's healthcare system. Where do you think medical innovations come from? England, France, Germany, Japan, China? No. Overwhelmingly, medical innovations, technological innovations come from America. New pharmaceutical drugs come from America. Right? The future is not created in London, in Paris, in Frankfurt, in Beijing or Tokyo. The future is overwhelmingly created in three American cities. Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York City. Right? The world's best universities are in America. Go backwards. We will go into a pre-mosaic world of, of, of nepotism. And in this case, not by family, but by race, gender. and. Okay, just because we have affirmative action in America, we're not going to go backwards into a pre-mosaic world. We're not going to fall apart because we have affirmative action. Affirmative action, by definition, is limited. Right? You can't give everybody affirmative action. Right, it's it has to be you know doled out here, doled out there. Right, America is going to survive affirmative action. Right, we're going to be a little less economically efficient, educationally efficient due to affirmative action, but uh, we'll be just fine. Right, so is there much of an audience telling people we're going to be just fine? No, you can get a much bigger audience telling people that the apocalypse at hand, you know, the end of the world is upon us, you know, everything is falling apart that the you know, other side politically is an absolute disaster. When, you know, truth be told, in some situations, you know, the most left-wing communist response is the most adaptive to some situations. In other situations, the most right-wing response is the most adaptive. And uh, in, in some situations, you know, the, the policies pushed by the left are more adaptive than policies pushed by the right. In other situations, policies pushed by the right are more adaptive. That which cannot continue won't. So even people on the left don't like the surge in homelessness and crime that the United States is going through. So we're going to have a blowback to the disastrous policies that were instigated and inspired by the horrific terrorist uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Let me play a little bit more here from Dennis's rant. Sexual orientation. So your point, I want to explain to people why it was such a great point. When we oppose dropping merit, we, we think of it being unfair to those who, who strive for merit. But your point is, it's just as unfair to the ones who benefit because they won't work hard. Okay, affirmative action does not mean dropping merit. It means reducing the, the power of merit. So instead of merit deciding 100% of outcomes, 
with affirmative action, it only perhaps decides 90% or 95% of, of outcomes. Hard. That was a great, great point. Okay. And because we have affirmative action, it doesn't mean that people will cease to work hard. Right? People who work hard and have merit are going to succeed even in a system of affirmative action. I hadn't thought of it, Jules, and that is a big deal. So I just wanted to commend you, but that's exactly what's going to happen. So two things happen. The society will suffer because merit will no longer be the, the reason for anything, uh, any position, any, any quote-unquote achievement. Uh, merit will no longer be the reason for anything. Merit will, because of affirmative action, suddenly it will play no role in the United States of America, according to Dennis Prager. I mean, this is such a ridiculous, childish, idiotic, stupid, nonsensical, bizarre thing to say. But the incentives are you say these crazy things because you've got an audience eager to hear this nonsense because it reinforces their loathing of the other side of the political spectrum. And secondly, it says to people, it says to the ones who work hard, don't bother working hard because we're not choosing by merit. And it says to the, uh, to the minority, whatever that minority is called, sexual or gender or race, uh, there's no reason to work hard. You're going to get ahead just because of your gender or race. And that was the Dennis and Julie show. <laughs> it's such a... It... Right. So even with affirmative action, you think that the beneficiaries of affirmative action will truly succeed in life if they never work hard. Right? Even beneficiaries of affirmative action will have to work hard if they're going to succeed in life. Yes. Everything that you said is, is spot on. If you follow the... Mer- everything you just said is, is spot on. Right? That's... That's why you, you co-host a show with someone who's, who's pretty and 23. And, and she's constantly telling you how everything you're saying is just so brilliant and so wise. It's route. It's actually the most equity. Well, not equity. I don't like the word equity, but equality inducing, diversity rewarding situation that, that you it will bring about all of these uh, values and these outcomes that the left proclaims that they want. Yeah. So now she's arguing that uh, deciding things on merit will bring about diversity and all the outcomes that the left won't. Well, if uh, different peoples have different gifts, right, it's not going to bring about diversity. Right? Some groups are going to be really good at certain business sectors and are just going to absolutely dominate them. Right? Do, do you think that uh, many black families will be able to operate small businesses and out-compete you know, Korean-American family businesses? Japanese-American family businesses, Chinese-American family businesses. Right? Not many will be able to outcompete, you know, the, the formation of the, you know, and the commitment and the, the diligence of the, you know, hardworking Asian family, right? Different groups, different peoples have different gifts. I really believe that if, that if we encourage and create an environment where people can prosper and based on, on their merit, then we will see representation. We will see black... But there's absolutely no reason to believe it. Just completely fatuous assertions here. But this is the kind of nonsense that conservatism incorporated promotes because conservatism, generally speaking, refuses to accept that different peoples have different gifts. And so they think, oh, if we just decide things on merit, then we're going to have you know, massive amounts of diversity and you know, everything's going to be wonderful. Wait, you're going to have large swaths of society that are not diverse if things are just decided on the basis of of merit and, and accomplishment 
blacks in, you know, leadership position you know they say you know uh, how many rep- house of representatives members are but we will see all of the things that we the left claims to want well you've been through prager you you see how diverse it's racially so, it is. Exa- well, that's but, and there is point. no affirmative action none none okay i have a few yeah come on really you really think i mean dennis prager often has said on his radio show that you know he would practice affirmative action in favor of black people that uh, you you hear the very different way he treats black callers he's much more kind and understanding and gentle and and nurturing towards black callers, you know, holds them to a completely different standard than any other type of callers. Come on, do you honestly think that uh, Prager U has no affirmative action going on? Your thoughts. Um, the first one I just said is, is principal. I mean, Julie Hartman, I, I like her, uh, but she wouldn't have a job without a type of affirmative action here. She doesn't hold her job on the basis of the merit of her insights. Dennis Prager does not hold a job on the basis of the merit of his insights. Right? He holds a job on the basis that he provokes certain feelings in people who are conservative. He has a job because he produces what sounds like profundity and moves people that they are getting something really deep and profound. Uh, Julie you know, meets some need, but more she's showing that, hey, you know, conservatism can be, you know, hot and hip and, and cute and young and blonde and one that that there will be diversity if we if you do merit you and the torah commentary i just have to say it's such a winning combination because the torah is so wise and you are so wise and there is (laughs) yeah how come i never get that how come i never hear that oh 40 you're just the the bible is so wise and your biblical commentaries are just so wise it's such a winning combination right this is why she has a job right there was a, a a senior vice president at cbs news whose primary job was to flatter Dan Rather, right? In all sorts of organizations where you have a star, there are lots of people who are employed whose primary purpose is just to flatter, you know, the star. And so Julie Hartman's primary purpose at Salem is to flatter the star, and Dennis Prager is so needy for flattery that uh, he's, you know, set up a full-time position for his flatterer-in-chief. Ugh, you'd think one would be embarrassed. But when you have, you know, overwhelming needs for, for flattery and admiration, right, they they supersede your best judgment. Look, it's a lot easier for me to do a show, you know, like the Jim Goes Saturday Night Massacre, get a thousand live viewers, you know, give, you know, hot anti-establishment takes, you know, build up my, my viewership, my income. Uh, you know, the, the, the reward for doing a show is not just, you know, money, it's attention, it's connection, it's interaction, it's uh, meeting people, it's having people tell, oh, wow, you know, such a, an amazing take, you know, going against the establishment on, on COVID vaccines, uh, JFK or whatever. You know, that's, there's, there's a huge reward. It's much more difficult to produce things that will have a smaller audience because you're not pushing a toxic product. And do you have the fortitude and the maturity to appreciate yourself, to appreciate when you do good or strive to do good? And even though it's not as you know easily uh, appealing and, and compelling as when you're pouring poison into America's soul, like you know Dennis and Julie unfortunately frequently do, but you can reach a level of maturity where you don't need your company to hire someone to flatter you full time. Right. You don't need to produce content that gets you know big views 
by you know pushing something that's really bad for you and and for other people right you can learn to give yourself the attention that you so yearn from pretty young women right i can give myself this attention all right it's a lot easier to get it from you know the julie hartmans of the world but i can grow up and i can say hey 40 good job all right i was wide awake at 2 a.m this morning I, I tried to stay in bed, but it was the final day of the Ashes, just an amazing, of the final day of the first Ashes test, just an amazing conflict between the Australian and English cricket teams. And it was due to start at 3 a.m. And I had things that I wanted to write on my blog. So I was up at about 2.15 a.m., had my one cup of coffee, and I just started, you know, working on, on my blog and, you know, making notes for this show. And I took my cold shower I had my supplement, I had my modafinil, I, I did some exercises, I did, you know, prayer and meditation, I did my 12-step work, you know, I got aligned spiritually, and it's like, good job, 40, you're doing all these good things. You're going to make a show out, out of these points, and to the extent that your show has any effect on, on people, it will have a, a positive effect. You're going to make some blog posts, that make some good points that people need to hear. And to the extent that, you know, anyone reads your blog, it's going to have you know, a positive effect. You are increasing you know, clarity and, you know, good epistemics in the world. I took care of my body, my soul, my psyche, my, my spirit. I you know, did all these good things. I, I, you know, went out today. I, I earned over, you know, $300, you know, legally, morally, you know, did the, did the right thing by people. Uh, came home, you know, knocked out a show, even though I was up at 2 a.m. I've you know, still got the energy to do a show here because I think I've got you know, something useful and important, uh, for, important for some people to hear. I'm not saying that everyone hearing this is you know, just getting their mind blown by my amazing insights, but I think there will be you know, some people that will get some benefit from this. And so I am able to give myself all that admiration that uh, Julie Hartman is, you know, pouring under Dennis Prager. Now, it's not as easy, but I recognize the, the, the series of wins that I've made throughout the day from the time I got up this morning to, okay, got up and got going. I blasted into the day at about 2.15 a.m. All right, that's a win. Cold shower, that's a win. Uh, knocked out three blog posts, right? That's, you know, that's a win. And uh, speaking of winners, Elliot Blatt, what's going on, bro? <laughs> Blessings, bro. Blessings. Blessings. Listen. All right. Listen, Luke, uh, I'm worried about you sleeping on the floor. This is possibly problematic. How is your hips? Your hips get um, ground. If you're sleeping on your side on the floor. You're going to put a lot of stress on your hip. My hips that are great, bone. bro. I, I wish I could show you like the, the ease and the joy I have with movement because I do strain, counter strain. I exercise every morning to let go of unnecessary tension. And then I, you know, practice the Alexander technique. So I feel so good, bro. I was up at 2.15 and yet I'm pumping with energy and I'm free. Look at, you know, my face, head, neck, back relationship. Like I'm a 57-year-old man and I virtually never have any physical aches and pains. All right, you win. You win. I'm still good <laughs> out for you, bro. Um, okay. Sorry about eating. Uh, so I um, had an interesting day yesterday. Um, remember my tales of my sort of um, delinquent, quote unquote, employee? Yes. So 
we got into a big row and we couldn't communicate with one another. And every, every conversation that we had was oral, you know, it was on the phone. And I kept making a point, right? That he would refuse to accept because it didn't redound to his benefit, right? Yep. The point he was making was within his interest, right? Yep. And I presented him with the objective facts of the situation, right? And it was like nothing would penetrate. Like he couldn't, he couldn't contemplate my side of the story. He had his sto- side of the story, and he was locked into it, and wouldn't wouldn't um, wouldn't relent from it. Wouldn't take on board what I was saying. Right, and so I said, I said, listen, we can't talk on the phone anymore. Let's communicate only in writing, because you know, obviously, I want to create a paper trail for the conversation, right? But he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't commit to writing. And is that a tactic that you ever use when you're at an impasse with someone? I I think you know at, at times. I mean, I I make sure to document things like I try to operate as though, you know, everything I say and do will, you know, show up in court one day and on the front page of the the New York Times. So I put a lot of things in email to uh, document. um, And I'm careful not to put other things in email or text. You know, I, I text and I email with the consciousness that this could, you know, show up in court or show up in some kind of expose. Uh, But I think, I think the primary thing here, Elliot, I just want to give you my opinion, even though I think the primary thing here is that where you're at right now, I think it's a really bad idea for you to have employees. I think there's some kind of dynamic that you have with alcoholics and the equivalent that's really bad for you. I think you're right. I think you're right. I've learned this lesson. I learned this lesson every two or so years, you know, and somehow somehow you know i think you know this time may be different you know and i don't, I don't want to say like he's been all negative but um I, I do think that people look to me and they see they see a victim you know they see someone and, they can use right and you know uh, it's like i i keep falling this thing if i show someone a kindness right i show someone a generation, uh, some generosity, I think, would be reciprocated with, but no, it encourages more rapaciousness on their part, and so, I, you know, I sort of got duped, but you know, I was able to sort of mitigate the damage to a certain degree more so in a, than I have in the past. Um, but the question is, like, <clears throat> I do need to like hire people. Eventually, if I'm going to really like make this thing work, I do need to hire people because there's like there's so much work to do. You know, you need to, to hire someone who's going to help. You know, ha- you have the corrective experiences, so you don't have these type of relationships anymore. So I don't know who that is. Could be a yoga teacher. You know, could be a, <laughs> a, a you know life coach. It, it could be a relative it could be a carpenter i have no idea but something needs to be it seems to me something needs to realign with you in how you relate to other people who 
particularly who who are employees. There, there's something something not aligned w- in you, and it's just going to cause you enormous enormous trouble if this doesn't get realigned. I, I totally agree. And like, so where do I see? How do I realign this? How who 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 would I talk to? Like, you know, it's not like you can go on Craigslist and someone say, you know, I need help realigning my. Myself I, I would think reason. of ways to phrase it and put it into Google or, or YouTube. So um, just off the top of my head, not sure this is accurate. Like, why do I attract? <clears throat> why do I attract alcoholics? Why do I attract under owners? Why do people take advantage of me? Uh, why do I keep getting screwed over? Why do I, you know, act against my own best interests with regard to addicts or you know, some combination of these questions and and, and mm-hmm. see what you see see what resonates all right yeah because um, these horrible relationships are meeting a need in you it's like here's an analogy I but think they're this not, is a, they're not they're totally they, not meeting no me. but they are they are like when I came to LA in 1994 and I started going to acting and modeling auditions I fell for a whole bunch of scams but every one of those scams met a need in me to feel important. They fed a delusion that I could have a career as an actor and a model. And so I forked over hundreds and eventually thousands of dollars to feed this delusion. And so these, these destructive, painful relationships, they are meeting in you some, some need that you have, some delusion that you have. And I, I don't know exactly what it is, but you got to ask yourself, what need have... Like, how is this relationship similar to other relationships? And, and what part of you is, is, is having a need met by having drama and excitement and danger and being taken advantage of? And, you know, do you get to feel high on rescuing people? For, for example, a lot of people, I, I once rescued a woman. She was basically living on her sister's couch and I brought her back to my place and the high of rescuing her and she was cute and we, we had great sex and you know i took her out and she was totally devoted to me that that high of rescuing her was just incredible and so do you get a high from rescuing people well i wouldn't call it say i was trying to rescue i don't yes you're presenting a very valid psychological profile and it's definitely one that I participated in the past but i, I wasn't doing that or at least to my knowledge i don't think i was doing that i needed some help i asked a guy no you know anybody looking for a little bit of you know side work and he said yeah here's this guy i said okay right i was just trusting the quality of my relationship with 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 the referrer that he would refer me to a quality referee so he came with sort of a imprimatur of this mutual this friend of mine right mm-hmm. and so um so yeah so like yes i was very lenient there's something about being lenient that i think i gravitate towards i'm not able to be strict you know there are some so, girls there are some women who get raped a lot Right. They, yeah. they, they go on dates and they get raped a lot. Other women have never been raped. So 
what are the characteristics of the girl who gets raped a lot and what are those characteristics that she shares with you um she's not aware of what she's doing to put herself in the situation yeah yeah you're getting yeah. raped a lot not anally yeah. but you are getting raped a lot and it happens again and again and again and i i suspect you've only told me five percent of it because you know being raped is incredibly traumatizing and you know i want to be sympath sympathetic but you know what you've gone through the trauma you've gone through you've you probably only told me you know the tiniest amount of it because it, it's just so painful to recollect the number of times that you've been raped. Sorry, Luke, I'm chewing, was it? <laughs> That's okay. I understand the, the trauma of being raped and the, the memory of I, you know, I, all those rapes. I, I, I know. It's hard to, uh, I th- hard I think, to talk I about. Being, I think you're being a little bit hyperbolic here. You don't feel like <laughs> yeah. you're being you know, raped by people who take advantage yeah. of your kindness? No. I wouldn't say rape. Rape is a strong word. I think taken advantage of or, um, um, you know, yeah, I'm abused at some level. But my point is like, see, when I see situations like this, I think, wow, there's just a lot of broken people out there. And like most people are broken. And you just have to assume that going to going into it. And I mean, I, I really felt like I'd taken the precautions of not getting raped, to use your phraseology. Like, I feel like I'd done, you know, a credible job of being diligent to the extent that I had time to be. I don't know. But you do bring up a good point. I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss your um, criticism, because I think, Obviously, if the pattern keeps repeating, there's something I'm doing that's wrong, and, and it's something I'm doing that's encouraging this. So, let me let me bounce something I, off you. Go go ahead, finish your thought. No, no, no. Like, um, I there's just one assumption about human nature that I make, right? That people, if given the adequate space and opportunity they'll sort of outgrow their sort of bad patterning, you know? They'll, they'll make a leap. They'll make the quantum leap out of their selfishness. And so it's an assumption I like to test. So part of it was like, here I am again. I'm going to test this theory of mine, right? And maybe it'll bear fruit this time. <laughs> So I, I'm recently familiar with people who've been given, you know, amazing opportunities, just you know, mm-hmm. fantastic opportunities, and you know they started to take advantage of them, and then they've just disappeared, like no, no, no word, no message, you know, they just you know leave other people in the lurch. So they were given you know opportunities way above and beyond their own merits. But, right, and uh, they sort of knew they weren't worthy, so they just ghosted. They just yep, they just take... ghosted. Yep. They couldn't take the, they couldn't take the destruction of their self-loathing narrative. Well, something, but they, uh... they were afraid of success. They were afraid to succeed. They were afraid to, because before, if you're poor and you're hurt, you can lean on your poverty as being the cause of your hurt. But if someone threatens to take away your poverty, 
then you're, you're just left with your hurt, right? Then you have to confront your hurt. Yeah. Is that what, you know what I'm saying, bro? Yeah. And then, you know, many people are just, you know, inconsiderate a-holes, which is why they're poor. And so you, you give them a wonderful opportunity and they will, you know, continue to be inconsiderate a-holes. But, uh, his is something perhaps related that I wanted to to bounce off you, give you give you my theory, and then get get your theory on, on what's going on. So I noticed with with many of my my sponsees who have trouble with debting and under earning, they love to spend money on chiropractic, acupuncture, uh, you know, all these bespoke therapies where you know they are nurtured and you know treated as individuals and you know, listen to, it's just so fills them up inside. And I love that stuff too, because I love, you know, the bespoke approach, something that's individualized. I remember this physical therapist I used to go to, like I was a favorite at the office and I would kind of, you know, flirt with the girls who worked there. And I just had a wonderful time and I felt very taken care of and nurtured when I'd go there. And so this also connects with my earlier point about, uh, you know, seeking attention as a, you know, a online personality it is so much easier to fill yourself up with, you know, other people telling you how wonderful you are, you know, whether you have to pay them or whether you have to just pay them by telling them things they want to hear, as opposed to standing on your own two feet, you know, learning procedures and techniques for taking care of your own aches and pains. So you stop, you know, throwing money away or you stop, you know, deforming yourself in, in your desire for, you know, other people to stroke you. So, any thoughts on this this very common human need for you know individualized attention where essentially you're you're paying to be the object of somebody's attention uh rather than learning to stand on your own two feet and give yourself the attention and care that you need yeah and the fact that really jumps to mind is nail salons yeah right women in nail salons you walk by a nail salon and you know you have these usually Vietnamese women sort of tending the neck, the fingernails of these women, with these non non Vietnamese women, <laughs> and it's like uh, people like to be doted on apparently. And I think that's what that whole ritual is all about. And like, do you really need paint on your fingernails? Is that really what it's all about? I don't think so. So I think your point is, is correct. I think people like this obsessive attention being put upon them yeah because it's a lot it's a lot easier to fill up you know when you buy someone's attention or it's like you know it's akin to to buying a hooker uh rather than learning to give yourself attention like you can give yourself attention you can give yourself validation you can give yourself love but you have to earn it right and that's why when i go to a restaurant and then there's a waitress, and she's very sweet and polite to me. I get this really just put off feeling because just knowing yeah. how contrived the whole situation is. Um, um, so to the yeah, extent sorry, like on. you can stand on your own two feet, like I, I, one thing I keep telling my sponsors is like stack up wins. You know, if you're struggling mm. with your family, you're struggling with your your job you're struggling with an addiction, you're struggling with social failure and humiliation, just stack up wins, whether it's doing pull-ups, doing push-ups, taking cold showers, praying, meditating, studying the Bible, going to synagogue, going to church, 
joining a stamp club, going to yoga, um, you know, applying for a better paying work, uh, like do the things you need to do, like write in a journal, you know, learn to address your, your unmet needs that other people aren't, aren't meeting, um, you know, learn to address your, your pain, like do the things you need to do, stack up those wins, you know, learn to fill yourself up, you know, learn to stand on your own two feet. Like I love the admiration of pretty women. Like I find it absolutely intoxicating and I have the privilege of interacting with, you know, I live in and around Beverly Hills. You know, I have the privilege of interacting with a lot of pretty young women and I can be funny and, and charismatic and I, I can grab their attention and it can just, you know, wash over me. But it, it's so much harder, but so much more important to give myself that attention so I can treat it when it comes from pretty young women as, you know, this is a lovely bonus, but I don't deform myself to you know, sustain their good opinions. You know, I don't sell myself out to, you know, try to hold on to their, their attention. I don't, you know, become some, you know, creep uh, hitting on them uh, unproductively and uh, unwantedly uh, because I'm not coming from that needy place. And I see also with, you know, live streamers and podcasters, there's just so much need to, to the extent it can give you a headache, you know, when you encounter these you know, needy uh, attention seekers online and or in in real life and to the extent that people can i i really believe that we can fill ourselves up uh not not 100 percent. you know i there's something to that song people who need people are the luckiest people in the world but from from my mind you can fill yourself up you know 50 60 percent and then you know get the other 40 percent you know appropriately without deforming yourself you know without constricting and contorting yourself and uh, you can, you know, operate much more effectively rather than, you know, buying or deforming yourself for, you know, other people's nurturing and attention. Yeah, everything you say is true. But it, it, it just, when I have these experiences, my, my reaction is to just retreat. Just, you know, you, know, you get your hand burnt on the hot stove. Yep. And retreat into isolation yep. at least you won't burn your hand you know and like and then after a, a prolonged period of isolation i'm like well this isolation really isn't healthy maybe i should venture out start meeting people you're in the green room and the cycle repeats yeah so um you, you remind me a little bit of dennis dennis dale so, uh, Dennis, I, I went on Dennis Dale's stream on Friday afternoon and I talked about, you know, major theme of my themes is how stupid much of the, the contemporary right is. And so mm -hmm. I, I took, I took, uh, the 48 minutes that I did with Dennis Dale, I, I clipped it and put it on my channel with the headline, why is the right so stupid these days? Part two. And mm -hmm. uh, Dennis, Dennis commented, white. Why am I featured in the Why is the Right So Stupid broadcast? What are you trying to say, Luke? So I, I don't know if, if this is just a, a joke from Dennis, but, you know, some people have a need to be hurt. Like some people have a need to feel victimized. Some people are just looking to be victimized. They have this narrative that other people will just screw them over. And so once they feel victimized, they can then, you know, retreat into hurt and victimization. I'm not saying that's what's going on with Dennis. But it's just something that I, I see constantly that, you know, I saw constantly in my own life, 
and then constantly in other people's life that the people put themselves deliberately in situations to be screwed over because that then validates their most intensely held narratives from early childhood. Any resonance with your own situation? Um, perhaps. I mean, I guess. I mean, I really thought I'd sort of healed all this kind of shit. Excuse my language. Um, but at some level, you know, I do want to socialize with people. I enjoy socializing with people, right? So I go out into the world and I, I try to socialize. And when I socialize, I get hit with so much static, so much uh, like LGBT nonsense or, you know, contorted business blowups. Or it's like, why, bro? Why? Why must it be like this? Like, I have to self-reflect, bro. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm responsible. I need to interrogate myself to figure out what I'm putting out there that's creating these situations. Need to interrogate, interrogate whiteness, bro. Yeah, a lot Sorry. of enacting of whiteness over, over the yeah. weekend. You see those on Twitter, bro? <laughs> just that whiteness is just spreading. <laughs> so, all right, let's let's table this conversation. Let's just yeah. talk about one thing. So, my Twitter feed, I, I, I may have mentioned this to you, is um, it's gotten really hardcore, a lot of like just grotesque content. And this is nothing I don't feel like I've ever sought out. I mean, I clicked on it when it appeared, but I think this piece of, you know, terrible content shows up in my feed. I click on it. And that tells the algorithm that I want more of it. And more of it keeps appearing. And some of it I just can't help but click on. And now it's my, my whole feed is just flooded with um, horrendous pictures of people falling off of bridges or, or <laughs> getting, you know, just stupid shit like that. And I just don't yeah. want that in my life. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, is this, is this, a, is this just me or is, did Elon tweak the algorithm? Well, I, I think or, Elon removed employees and the algorithm that used to minimize that terrible stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I think it, it's laissez-faire because without tweaking the algorithm and having moderators, this is what takes over because this is what you know generates reaction and engagement. All right, but what does it say about me that the algorithm thinks this is what I want? Like, well, it's reflecting your choices. So, for example, most people that, that I follow on Twitter are academics who, are, mm. who tend to be on the left. So I get mm. very little of this content that you're describing because I mm. deliberately follow people with PhDs who, mm. who have prestigious positions in society and therefore are strongly incentivized you know, not to post you know, horrible things. Well, I basically follow people that are in your audience. Yeah, yeah, you basically follow my audience. But I don't follow my audience. You know, I follow yeah. left-wing academics. <laughs> I see. I made a very subtle mistake. <laughs> what does this, in fact, say about you, Luke, and your audience? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I, I'm interested in the right-wing approach to life. Like, I, I am not comfortable with left-wing punditry it just makes me not feel good like i like listening to right-wing commentary 
I mean, moderate mm. amounts of it. Um, so mm. I'm, you know, my instincts are on the right, but I'm happy to also, you know, interrogate my instincts. But yeah, my audience is dissident right. Um, that's yeah. my primary audience, and that's the way it is. And I'm fine with that. You know, I'm not going to appeal to, uh, you know, meth using high school dropouts. You know, my audience, you know, has an average IQ of 120. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's change track one more time. So, you know, it's Gay Pride Month. We need a full month, Luke, as you know, as KMG would remind us. Um, And now these flags are just everywhere. And they're so gross. They're just so childlike, you know. There's these primary color rainbow flags that are just as simplistic as you can get, and they're just so they're completely devoid of any sort of adult taste, you know? And I'm just wondering, like, does this ever dawn on them? Because homosexuals, for all, you know, all their peccadillos, they used to be known for, like, a very refined aesthetic sense. And this is just so absent in this flag, this hideous rainbow flag and now this new rainbow flag with all these other little corners it's just so silly and stupid and nauseating and i just have a visceral reaction every time i see it do you have this reaction i don't um i think you know i'm i'm a ridiculous person in many ways and i've said and done many ridiculous things and you know i find some some of these expressions that you're talking about absolutely ridiculous but I, you know, reflect I'm I'm an idiot too, and uh, some of these expressions are idiotic. So no, I don't usually have the reaction you describe. Maybe more intense in San Francisco, but uh, San Francisco is where you choose to live, and this is you know part of the the price. I mean, you could live in a in a red state area which wouldn't have this. Yeah, but it really isn't just San Francisco anymore, Luke. It's like. The White House lawn, you know, you saw that <laughs> yeah. hideous display. Just hideous. It would be unimaginable when I was growing up. Unimaginable. And um, here it is. And it's just not even, doesn't even raise eyebrows. I just really get, start doom spiraling when I see stuff like this, Luke. I think, I, I think because I'm so immersed in Orthodox Judaism, I don't, um, I, I, I'm more protected, you know. It doesn't doesn't seem to play as much of a you know, much of a role, you know. Uh, it's just you know, much of the outside world's incredibly uh, degenerate and and perverse, mm. and I I cling to my guns and my religion, bro. Yeah, that's a good idea. But you, you see what I mean? It's like every year, this like they're never going to be satisfied. Luke. Never. No matter what threshold is crossed, there's still empty husks of people, and they need to just keep doing. They keep need to keep doubling down. You know, real LGBT blah blah awareness hasn't been tried yet. Yeah, and but I, I, when is the pushback going to come, Luke? Uh, I uh, look when when people do ridiculous things like this, I. I I like to think that yeah, I recognize that I'm I'm equally ridiculous in in my own ways. So I 
I don't yeah, have that. But that's not true, Luke. <laughs> You're not equally ridiculous. You know, we're all jesting aside. <laughs> that's ridiculous, right? I mean, but this, but I am, and this, so you are have, you. We're, you have we're the same all ridiculous. I have it. You are infinitely tolerant on certain in certain domains. Your tolerance and forgiveness expands beyond all healthy proportions. And so you and I have the same problem. And then ultimately we get bitten by it, don't you think? No, because what I'm tolerating is reality. I have no power to affect the amount of gay pride that, that is displayed. I have zero influence. So <laughs> I don't believe in, in being at war with reality. But if okay, I have all right, all no right. ability to change that, then I should accept it. All right, let's say, let's forget, let's, 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 let's just take your, your premise here. Let's say instead of gay flag, gay pride flags hanging everywhere, let's say they were just the corpses of hanged men dripping from telephone poles. Would you have the same attitude? Like, yeah, I think about oh, all the men no that power, I, I wanted no power to, power hang. to change this. What? I think about all the men that I wanted to hang and, and I recognize that I had this darkness <laughs> in my own soul. And, uh, and, and yeah. I, I try to see what was, you know, aesthetic and, you know, try to find something uplifting in all the yeah. corpses. And no, I, I mean, in that situation, I'd move. So if, yeah. if San Francisco is really getting on your nerves and you can't handle it, you, you either change how, your reactions, right? You, but, but, you but, but, either have the courage to make the changes you need to make, or you need to find the serenity to accept the things that you can't change. But Luke, when I'm, you know, yes, I'm in San Francisco, but if you turn on the TV, if you actually just brush your, if you rub your face against the sandpaper of the popular media, it's right there, Luke, all the time, 24-7. It's the so only... now watch TV, like watch Torah no. Talks. I don't. So what I'm saying is, is my being in San Francisco is not a factor here. I think it's this degenerate culture has taken over the country. Yeah, I just feel why, don't, black why don't you just see these as external expressions of your own internal degeneracy? I mean, you've been pretty degenerate at times. Why don't you just accept that this is an externalization of degeneracy that's in, inside of you? It's a different type of but, degeneracy you know, well, than, than what, what you're into. Why. Because when I was degenerate, I was, knew I was being degenerate, right? They're being degenerate, and they think it's healthy, and they think it's virtue. There's a difference. But how times? How many times have you fooled yourself when you thought, I'm not being degenerate, but you were being degenerate? How many times have you fooled yourself about all sorts of things? So we all fool ourselves. We're all idiots at times. You know, yeah. we're, we're, why not think of the time that you okay. ran a red light? Why not we're think of the all time? just... We're all just we're all just reeds blowing in the wind, right, Luke? There's nothing we can yes. do. We just need that's yes, your it, yes. it seems very passive, bro. Very it's, passive. Uh, it's it's very accepting of reality. There's there are severe limits to what what we can what can you do about gay pride? There's nothing that you can do. I can about call gay pride. in I can call into live stream and express my revulsion at the very least. Right? Yes. And and I can make jokes. And uh, I'm just surprised that there's. <laughs> yeah, surprised there's just so few people I could talk to that share this revulsion, you know, and that's what's most depressing. But I mean, can can you think of like revolting things about yourself and just see this, you know, revolting behavior 
And, I, and... I do that like 90% of the time, but like 10% of the time, can I just allocate that time to just my environment? Yeah, I mean, that's why you should belong to an Orthodox synagogue. You can go to an Orthodox synagogue and you can bro, they vent won't have about me, this bro. stuff. They don't have me. I don't qualify, bro. Why? Because your mother is not Jewish? No, only, only my father, my dude. So I'm just, just calf to the wolves, bro. I'm not in the tribe. Well, I mean, you can join like a, um, like if you join any athletic group, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be overwhelmingly heterosexual. And, mm-hmm. and the, more, the more masculine the endeavor, like if you join a weightlifting group, right? You well, well, you know what I'm getting into, but I'm getting into auto repair. So, okay, that, uh, so that, that gonna, is not going to be. I think, you, I, I think you've come up with a solution. I need to do like a sort of repair. weekend warrior mechanics yeah. group. Yeah, yeah, do, do hyper masculine activities, and yeah. you're not going to be surrounded by a lot of gay pride. There you go, bro. You solved it. Beautiful. You're like another Dennis Pride group, bro. I can't believe <laughs> people aren't like, you know, walking around muttering Luke's name under their breath and shaking their head and. Knowing amusement and you did it, bro. <laughs> Success. All right, bro. Beautiful. I gotta finish my dinner. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, bro. Okay. All right, good All right. Shalom. All right, okay. Bye. Shalom. 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 Ah, oh, great show. Take care. Bye bye.